You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock and welcome to what I have arbitrarily decided is Series 2 of the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. It feels like Series 2. Partly because I've had a few weeks break from recording and promoting the podcast over the summer, and secondly because I find myself deeply back in startup mode. A bit like buses, you wait around for a year for the right idea to come, and then four come along at once. And being opportunistic, I've said yes to all of them. So if series one of this podcast had the luxury of deep reflection, I suspect series two will have a higher adrenaline level and the view from the trenches. So joining me this week is, is Alex Feakin, founder and CEO of Findra Clothing, an award-winning outdoor adventure clothing brand. Having searched extensively for clothing that was high performance and comfortable and looked good, she found that there was very little available for women like her. She realised she was perfectly placed to fill the gap in the market and took more than 20 years' experience at the sharp end of the fashion industry and her first-class degree in design and textiles and an MA in fashion, and she knew she could do better. Findle was launched to market in December 14 and has gone from strength to strength. So welcome to my living room, Alex. I'm super looking forward to hearing about your adventures and trials and tribulations. Thanks for having me. So I've picked a question for you. We've been asked this before. We've been asked this face-to-face when we were on the same panel. So um, when this one came by again in a slightly different form, you you, you sprang to mind. Um, This listener is also interested in fashion, and they have identified a gap in the market that fills their personal needs and feel that there is a wider market than just an audience of one, which is always a risk. They've been getting kickback because of being perceived as a bit too niche, and so they've struggled to raise any money so far. Now, the question they asked me is, how do they raise the money they need to get started? But I hope we can answer a different question, because saying you don't is going to be a really short short episode. So I'm hoping we're going to answer a slightly different question, the real question, which is how do you get started with an idea? How did you get started with an idea without kind of immediately making your first task go raise money for a year or three? Yeah. So I think for me, uh, my attitude's always the best way to do something is to do it. So you start by doing I'm very into the outdoors, so I basically got involved in, in mountain biking and um, got pretty hooked on mountain biking, really loved it. Went out with a group of women each week and um, just really loved the sport, loved the attitudes. It's it's not for the faint-hearted and, and just liked the attitude of the women that I was kind of out there biking with and cycling with. And we weren't a, a young group, we were a group of women in our 30s, kind of uh, early 40s, which, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and so because I was really into it, I went off to buy some kit, basically, and wanted stuff that would be good in the Scottish weather, um, <laughs> and all that it throws at us. Um, oh, beautiful, endless sun, you absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Well, this year's been a bit of a, a one-off, I think, but um, certainly just stuff that, that could cope with mud and rain and, and all of that stuff. And 
went to my local trail centre, had a look around and, and kind of stood in the shop and thought, oh, this is not really great. Um, the percentage of clothing available for women was, was a tiny percentage. And just because of my background in design, I quite quickly kind of assessed what was going on and that the women's product was really clearly an afterthought of the men's. So it, it was obviously a market or a, a sector in that market that wasn't being kind of properly addressed. And I kind of stood there and probably went away actually and looked at other places, went to other sports places and, and, and just didn't find anything that I thought for that particular sport was great. And, and for women of my age and for what we were doing, didn't think there was anything great. Went back to the trail centre and kind of looked again and then in that moment thought, I really believe I could do something a lot better here from a design point of view, but also from a kind of just a a brand that would really um, have an ethos that was like the spirit of those women that I'd mm-hmm. been cycling with, that was, you know, a really positive and go-getting kind of attitude. And so at that point, I believed that was when I could do something better and thought, okay, where do I start and how do I start? And um, for me, I had a lot of experience in design so I felt right I know how to do that um, I understand that process so really what I don't have a lot of experience in is, is understanding the market and the market that I'm, I'm looking at going into. Interestingly at the same time I'd kind of re- received um, an email from um, Scottish Enterprise who they'd sent out an email to, to whoever lots of people I'm sure who they basically asked the question do you have an idea for a product uh, or business related to mountain biking? And um, it was very timely because it kind of arrived as as I was having the thought process of creating this brand. And they were offering innovation clinics. And so I went along to that and met with the team that were behind that. They had also identified at that point that, that the market sector for mountain biking was had a lot of potential, particularly in Scotland, linked to tourism. And so I kind of put forward my idea to them and that I had at that point wanted to establish a women-specific clothing brand. And they really kind of embraced that and, and loved it. And so through them, I had an opportunity to understand a bit more about the market by getting access to kind of key key market reports, mm-hmm. Mintel reports. And also knew very early on that I wanted to, that this journey that I wanted to go on, I wanted to build a brand that wasn't, I, I wanted to build a business that wasn't a lifestyle business. I wanted it to be a business that I believed would be scalable and therefore a brand that would really grow and so even without a huge amount of market knowledge, I, I knew that I was starting in a niche, mm-hmm. but I knew that I wanted to go out with that. Um, yeah. But I mean, niches can be mm. insanely valuable. Absolutely. I mean, just because something's niche doesn't mean it's not scalable. It doesn't mean that no. it's not a global business and doesn't mean that it's not a hundred million pound plus kind yeah. of businesses. Absolutely. Niches, especially, I mean... Obviously in the consumer world, yeah. but also in B2B. I mean, yeah. niches are what you're searching for. It's extraordinarily hard to be a competitive success as a, general, yeah. as a generalist. Well, it is. And I think if you have got a niche and you start in a niche, you've got a great story to tell. Um, you've got a great starting point. Um, and these are all really good positives because how, how do you make your mark or make your path in a very noisy world? particularly the clothing industry, um, it, it's really, really competitive and you're going to compete with some huge players. So how do you as a tiny little, well, a non-existent brand at that point and one, one person, how do you make your voice heard? How do you get your brand out there? And so starting in a niche where you've identified an opportunity is, is a great place to be. And I had identified an opportunity and I had identified a market 
within that that wasn't being served the way it should be or could be. And that's where my story started, mm-hmm. really, and that's what I built on. And I think it's really important that you went away and, you know, Scottish Enterprise helped, um, which is always you know, a fantastic resource, I think, that we're lucky to have in this yeah. market. In other locales, you often have similar types of resources, whether that's yeah. community groups or or libraries or at your university or whatever. That piece of desk research is so critical. Yeah. I do bang out on about this a lot, but I bang on it from personal experience and from yeah. meeting people like you. So much of the de-risking of your idea can be yeah. done on paper. Absolutely. Literally in an Excel spreadsheet, yeah. are there enough other... You know, yeah. Is it a market of one, as in yes. youth? Uh-huh. Or is it a market of a thousand or a yeah. hundred thousand? Absolutely. And where are they and how will yeah. I get to them? And is so it possible to yeah. achieve this in a linear way or in a, in a scaling way or in a gently organic way? Yeah. However you're choosing to do it, is it possible to get to the market? Yeah. Is there enough of them? It's crucial to ask all of those questions and, and really understand all of that and really understand who that market who the customer is what, what's going on in that market and for me you know when I, when I had that moment of right I want to do this one of the very first things I'd done was then to start to really kind of um, observe what people were wearing so when I went out biking I would look at what what are people actually wearing what are women wearing and at that point we were all wearing the same color jacket and and black shorts and tops and so you know there was clearly not a great deal of creativity had gone into it and not a great deal of choice so at a very, very basic level, just that observation of right, what's actually happening and then just communicating, asking people, okay, what brands do you buy? What do you think of it? And for me, just kind of gathering that information and also then combining that with, in terms of the design and the creative side, what's involved in the activity? What do I really want? And what type of product do I want to wear Mm. for this activity? But a lot of that then fed into the design of the product. But finding out about the market is, 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 it can start as simple as, looking at the market so I have had at that point the opportunity to be at a trail centre every weekend mm-hmm. and see my potential customer yeah. in action and then take it from there and do that desktop research as you say and just looking and reading and sort of sitting down every evening because I had a full-time job at the time so I was just spending the evenings reading looking at other brands looking at how they'd grown and just doing all that work and I mm-hmm. found it really interesting actually and at that point there is no cost you're not, yeah. you're not having to pay anything you're not having to stand other than your time it's no cost, but you're doing the most. You're doing the most important thing. You know, yeah. You're de-risking it. You're making an informed decision for yeah. yourself whether yeah. you whether you should invest your time, your money, your heart and soul into this or yeah. not. Starting yeah. comes at the end of that process. Yes, absolutely. I think. You know, yeah. the last year it's crazy. I'm, I'm doing four now, but the last year I have done that with so yeah. many things. Yeah. So I mean, I must have done twenty five. Yeah where I have given serious consideration to actually kind of having written them down, gone and put in effort to looking at something. Mostly I've ruled them out because I'm not the right person to do the business. Some I've ruled them out because it's already being done and frankly I'd be so late to market that just don't think the niche is big enough. And some I just couldn't get enthused about. And now it's come together that I've got a couple that I'm just really super, really super into. And in you know, in theory, in an ideal world, I wouldn't have a couple. I'd have one. Yeah. But 
I've lucky that I know enough people, right? Yeah. I've got a couple of little teams yeah. I trust. I yeah. wouldn't be able to do multiple yeah. businesses by myself. Yeah. And it is different. Like the yeah. first time, is, I think, I you think know, when you start by yourself, yeah. it's yeah. different. When you start yeah. a game, it's a team sport almost yeah. from day one. And you've learned so much. Yeah. That but all of that process, only when you've done it, are you Absolutely. starting. Without a doubt. And, and really understanding what you're getting into. You know, I, I couldn't afford to take a big risk. I was on my own bringing up my three sons. I had a good job. I liked my job. Um, I had this sort of, you know, the security of the financial security. And in a way, it was almost like, you know, my going mad by coming up with this idea and wanting to pursue it. But that um, itch just didn't go away. And, and so in order to kind of mitigate some of the risk, the, the research was the most important mm-hmm. thing for me to really, really fully, fully understand what the market was all about and what the potential was within that market. Because you have the technical, creative and production yeah. skills to know yeah. that if you can find the right problem, yeah. you know how to solve it. Is yeah. that fair enough? Pretty much. I mean, I would say for me, there were two sort of key phases prior to launch. Um, the first was validating the idea. Was there, you know, was there a market and, and validating that concept? And then for me, it was about creating products, designing products, creating prototypes and validating my designs because validated, right, there is a market opportunity and women actually really do want better uh, design product for cycling the outdoors. Um, so that bit was kind of like, right, okay, that's validated, but now do they want my designs? Yeah. You know, so <laughs> product market fit. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> problem solution fit (laughs) yes Uh the often bit which is less sexy and skipped no i've done it myself done all the first part of the research beautifully well and skipped Mm -hmm. that next piece well it's terrifying i mean when i started vindran or hadn't started pre-start and the bit that we're talking about and i designed my products um, and my ideas or i had the ideas and i had the creative side of it decided to do a focus group and and take my kind of storyboards and my prototypes along to the mountain bike center of scotland center put them all out there we'd organized promoted it as a as a day to come along and give feedback and you know i've been in the fashion industry for over 20 years i've done numerous presentations and i wanted to hide in the back room that day because this was my baby Mm -hmm. and these were my designs and if they weren't well received or it wasn't constructive criticism then that little bubble was burst yeah and I really didn't want to hear that, but I knew I had to put myself in that position and that was really, really hard and mm-hmm. that's with a lot of experience. Yeah. I was pretty terrified and it was a really positive day and not just positives as in everybody loved it. There was a lot of really constructive feedback and what I really learned there was you cannot in any way presume what the customer wants. You can't think you know because of your own interpretation of a market or, or a product range or whatever that, that what you think is right is right. And so all of that was really great feedback and information to get before you go and start to get the money out, you know. And what were you presenting? Were you presenting drawings or mock-ups? So there were some uh, garment mock-ups, some prototype garments, which people could try on. There was fabric swatches. There was, I had various storyboards, which had, so I was thinking about the the name of the brand at that point. And um, I had kind of lots of different terms and names and, just pinned to a, a kind of a board and also an imagery board. So lots of different images of women um, cycling, women outdoors. And I basically got people to put little post-it notes against the ones that they liked. And it was really interesting 
So the things that you think, oh, that's an amazing picture, that looks really great. Mm-hmm. If I was to kind of create a range and, and then do a photo shoot, would I go around that? You know, I would build a story around that. That would be the one that no one would put a dot on. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a really interesting lesson, you know? And it's funny because, I mean, obviously my, my background is a lot more tech, but that piece is so important. And I yeah. think often we, especially in the tech world or the product side of things, we, we kind of make the excuse of the MVP. Yeah. Oh, well, this is just an MVP. So what I'm going to do is throw an MVP out there, yeah. which is way harder than it sounds. I mean, like building a tech MVP, a real, especially if you're doing B2B or enterprise, yeah. like, that's a whole yeah. ton of work. Yeah. Yeah. And you've already made so many arbitrary yeah. decisions uh-huh. about what the customer wants yeah. at that point. And rolling it right back, yeah. right yeah. back to yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, and understanding what people are gravitating yeah. towards. Yeah. It's, it's such a skipped stage, I actually. I think I think it is, and I think it's a, a fundamental part of just what you have to do. And, and when we come on to kind of the part of which where I launched Vendor to Market, that that background work, that groundwork really paid off um, because when it got to market, the product that I created and took to market wasn't like anything else that was out there. But it was successful because I had really, really listened to the customer and really kind of pulled all of that information together. And, you know, it was a case of giving them what they wanted yeah. uh, with my influence in terms of design and styling, but giving them the product that they had been looking for and asked for. And that definitely came out of the research and the kind of putting on the, the brief kind of like, let's just put it in front of people now and ask the question. Yeah. And it's fascinating that you chose to do it the way you did with the focus groups, which I suspect were broadly similar age, I think have desperately gone out of fashion. I mean, earlier on in my career, yeah. especially when I was working in research, yeah. we did a lot of focus groups. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're not where you would go to for quantitative yeah. research, but for certain kinds of things done well, they're very good. Yeah. And they've really dropped out of fashion. And I think that... I can imagine a lot of accelerators that I come across and a lot of startup programs, they'd have said, get us, you know, get a pop-up store. Yeah. You know, take a pop-up store for a weekend and get all your products out there and, you know, just start selling and see yeah. what people buy. And actually, I think that's really reductive. And that you probably wouldn't have ended up with the brand you have, no. the product range yeah. you have, the feedback you got, had you taken that approach because you'd Absolutely have already not. made so many arbitrary decisions. Without doubt, and I think that you're also having to invest in, in the money part of it has to start being there at that point, you have, even in a small amount. To developing a product is not a quick process. To get it right, you have to take your time. And I wasn't prepared to go to market with something that was not made properly, wasn't considered, wasn't well designed, and and wasn't kind of what the customer wanted. I just was not prepared to rush that. I didn't need any money to pull together prototypes. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't need any money to put stickers on a board. Yep. I just needed my time and, and my input and passion for the whole thing and to get a group of people together and to, to get that feedback. And and it, it has gone out of fashion, I think, as you see, I think that people do want to fast track everything. That's the world that we live in. And and I would say to anyone that's kind of starting a business, you know, with a product um, whatever that product is, really validate it. And I think you can get so close to something that you can really believe that what you're offering is amazing and right and perfect. 
And then oh, all of yeah. a sudden you're shot down in flames because you've not thought about it from a different angle or you've just got too close to it and you can't see it for, mm. for its flaws or whatever. Yeah. So it, it is a crucial part Or of it's it. just not as big a deal to everybody else yes. as it is to you. Like, you've actually validated everything. Yeah. You have solved the problem. Mm-hmm. It's just you were a market of one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of happened, actually, because I had this absolute fixed idea that cycling shorts needed to have the button a really simple thing like we needed to have the front placket the opening had to move to the side because when you're on a bike you know and you're leaning over it could mm-hmm. pop the button could pop the zip could pop i was fixated on this idea and i thought i was like i was going to transform the whole industry with my idea of moving the zip to the side mm-hmm. <laughs> so our products on that day were, were kind of designed around this and uh, i don't think there was anyone on that day that tried them on and got on the bike or saw them no, I don't think one person said that's a great idea. I think everyone just said it's not a big deal. Just make sure your pockets are stronger. As <laughs> <laughs> in the studs in the pockets, you know what yeah. it's like. Okay, but pe- then. <laughs> people have raised millions, wasted millions, and years of their life to learn yeah. that lesson. It, it is so unnecessary and such a waste. And yeah. um, it's about kind of dropping the ego a little bit as well, and um, just putting yourself out there and putting your idea out there. I mean, don't get me wrong as a designer, I'm not someone that likes to design by committee, by any means, but as a starting point, when you've got an idea and you want to enter a market, it is a really good exercise to go through and, and kind of really forces you to kind of step back a little bit and detach yourself a little bit from it and just remember that when it goes out there, it's what the customer decides mm-hmm. at the end of the day and, and that's important. Yeah. I mean, I built something the other week. I didn't build it in just a week, but I presented something the other week that I that I, I built up for for a business I've been really involved in, and this has been my baby. And I, yeah. I built this thing, and I knew what it should look like, and I was trying to you know, fix a lot of things I've got wrong in the past. Yeah. You know, this was, was like there was like deep meaning in this kind of like dashboard. Yeah. If a dashboard can have profundity, this is like had it. Had it. <laughs> and then I, I I sat down with the marketing team who represent exactly the kind of people that were looking at it. And they go, well, it'd be really great if it had, like, the key numbers at the top where you could see them. I mean, and I was like, what is that? And I was just trying yeah, so hard uh-huh. to zip it because there they were in a table. Yeah. Like, the very first thing, you've got all these numbers, but they were there in a row. And yeah. clearly people just weren't seeing them. No. And just listening to this feedback, especially yeah. of this thing that I like, felt super proud of. Yeah. And then going away, like, grumbling a bit, thinking, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. marketing people need bigger boxes but you yeah. know I put them in bigger boxes and I thought about it and I presented it much more clearly and I came back and then they understood and it was it's not about me yeah that's it's it. about you them exactly and it's about you know just making it work for that person that you've intended it for so you did your focus groups you some of your lovely concepts shot down in place yes, and, absolutely. but presumably other things came through yeah. strong and validated yeah. what kind of happened next so I kind of um, with regards to the product, went back to the drawing board um, and and took away all of the learning from that that particular day about the type of brand that I wanted to build and what I felt was really missing in the marketplace and what these women were telling me um, the way it should be presented to them, how it should be presented, things like the kind of the the words that you would use or the the photography, the imagery the imagery that you would sort of choose to use to represent the brand. I went away with a wealth of knowledge on all of that that really informed and shaped the the type of brand that I was going to start to build from our kind of values and our ethos and what we wanted to kind of create 
to the product, basically, mm-hmm. and, and the, the design and the detailing. When it moved then from concept and brand to actual product, at what point, a, what point did you feel that now you had really started? And at what point did you then have to start to wrangle with money mm-hmm. and materials and all the stuff that terrifies me about the whole idea yeah. of retail product and yeah. building things like that because they kind of seem to my narrow understanding of the yeah. space involve money first yeah. and selling yes. later that is <laughs> and I don't like that way around I much prefer easy. selling first and then <laughs> that would be a great world if we could all live in that but yeah retail I, I think when you're creating something from scratch, you're creating a product from scratch, you have so many parts of the process before you get to the retail um, part of it. And I understood all of that because of my background as a, as a practicing designer. So I knew that we had a long time frame, you know, a long process uh, lead time from concept to getting on the shelf, basically. And so initially I kind of gone to fabric suppliers and got some sort of cut off some fabric that was the starting point then I'd got some prototypes made which I took to the focus group day and then following on from that I kind of created a really small capsule range and that's that's really important as well as a creative person it would be natural to want to create this massive range and showcase all of your wonderful designs and and how talented you were that's Mm -hmm. you know we would all love to live in that world but I just knew that we had to go to market with a really tight little product range and test the market and it was testing it even once you got the feedback on the product it was then testing it because once you get into the world of or of designing prototyping and then placing up an order to buy you're starting to look at minimums and and all of that so it was like little baby steps and so I went from creating small range, designing it, getting some offcuts of fabric and getting prototypes made up. And I basically had what I would call a prototype slash salesman sample range of probably five five pieces, basically. So two tops, leggings, a pair of shorts and um, an accessory, which was a neck warmer. And I had this range and I kind of had to, like even, even from the colour choice and where you launch it from, I had to be quite clever in how I approached it. Because again, um, just from that kind of supply chain process, I was limited to what I could do and what I could work mm-hmm. with. So I had to be quite creative and clever about what what I created as a range and um, the raw materials I used and the colour palette and all of those things. And I went from there and again, going back to kind of some of the support I had, the next step for me was I went on a kind of trade mission out to... Eurobike, which is in Friedrichshafen, um, with the Mountain Bike Centre of Scotland. And they took a small group out, out there, a small group of businesses, and they had um, a stand out there. And what that, I, I, I literally had a wheel um, mm-hmm. on a stand. And this is one of the biggest, lar- largest cycling and bike shows in the world, basically. And everyone kind of gathers there in the summer to see the latest product offerings. So all the big brands are there. It is absolutely massive. And I had this tiny little reel. And um, I had my samples on it and I had a mannequin outside the stand with some mm-hmm. products on it. I had no expectations or, as to getting lots of accounts opened mm-hmm. or selling, but I wanted to put it out there. The yeah. next thing was to put it out there in front of the industry and see what the response was. And um, the mannequin really attracted lots of people to the mm-hmm. stand, which was brilliant. And the products that I designed stood out. They were different. They were different from... A lot of what was being offered by a lot of the bigger brands, they were different from basically what was the market. And so because of that, 
I got a lot of industry interest mm-hmm. and a lot of people coming and asking about the brand and asking about the products and got quite a few write-ups. And, you know, at this point, I'd spent my cost of my flight out there and my yep. accommodation. So, you know, we're talking five, six hundred, seven hundred quid that I'd spent. Um, I didn't have anything else mm-hmm. to spend. Um, I'd got a, 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 a grant to help me make the products. But really, that was it. And, and so... Getting the industry interested, that was a really yeah. positive next step and getting some pieces written up sparked interest and gave me the confidence then to come back and say, right, I need to now get a stock run of each of these mm-hmm. items and go to market. Um, and that was the point at which, right, how do I fund that? Yeah. What do I do um, to make that happen? And that's when you really sort of sit down and go, okay. And, and I'd kind of tried, I had chosen suppliers at that point that could make really small runs. Mm-hmm. That was really important part of the process as well and a really challenging part of the process because it's difficult to find them and that's interesting I mean the person asking the question and it and I hope they'll they'll forgive me with me me so liberally rewriting their question to what (laughs) it really needed to be is this wasn't a question of raise money and then start thinking about all of this thing you just to reiterate you're you're about 800 pounds down at this point you have validated the whole thing you have validated the market you have validated the brand you have learned a whole load about your designs the concepts you have gone to the biggest trade show in the world you have shown those prototypes you've got the entire industry going wow this is a bit different we like this and now you're thinking about the point where you actually need to spend money, which is to make a production yeah. run. I mean, how many months in? That was a year. A year? That it was, was a year. Yeah. That, that kind of feels like about a yeah. year. That was a year. Yeah. That's a full year from the moment I stood in the, the shop to doing the research to the next stage to the next stage to get into it right. Okay, now, how do I do this now? And it's so interesting that the fact that that it is a year in, I see so many startups that don't start and founders that never found because they spend that first year worrying about raising money. Yeah, it's a huge distraction. It's a massive distraction. And you're not going to succeed. No. You know, every once in a while, there will be a crazy Kickstarter or crowdfund that gets the interest and captures people's imagination. But... Those are very, very few yeah. and far between. Yeah. And every once in a while, you'll get an, in, an insider or a friendly angel give you a punt. Mm-hmm. But even those can often be problematic Absolutely. later on. Yeah. The, the money that comes into a concept before you've done any validation yeah. is problematic money. Definitely. When you... Too soon. Yeah. You either then have to build what you took the money for, even if it turns out that the validation isn't yeah. there. Or you have to find yourself in this crazy place where the money is pulling you in all the directions of what you should be building instead of your customer. And and I think that it's a really nice phase, actually, that research. There's something quite satisfying about doing all of that research and really understanding what you're getting into and, and understanding your customer. So to me, it's actually, looking back, it was a nice period of just understanding all of that because once you do move into the next stage, and, and you do have to start to look at the money, then there are more pressures that come. Um, so the more that you can do and the further along the line you can get by yourself in as much as you're pushing it, but you have support networks around you. But the more you can do to understand where you want to be, what you want to do, the more value you add as well. Um, so that when you do come to have those conversations about mm. money, you actually have something strong and solid to talk about and you validated that um obviously you validated the demand there was potential sales channel demand you needed to start producing yourself did you 
very clearly at that point kind of see yourself as a brand that was going to be selling through other outlets or did you your own e-commerce and your own sale channel as the as the primary channel at that point in time was yeah. that at the front of your radar so i think the vision that i had was that we would be a brand that sold online and because i really believed in the brand and how i wanted that you know I'm, I'm quite um protective of how the brand is represented and i think that's important it's important to me because what i found in the marketplace was that the kind of the way other brands were, were represented or whatever I, I didn't find it particularly inspiring so i wanted to be able to represent the brand positively and strongly and make sure that when it was out there it was represented properly so the vision at that point was online um selling in our own potentially our own retail um but quirky and quite mm-hmm. different because obviously going down the road of bricks and mortar is a huge huge tricky area and potentially hugely risky Um, yes my goodness yeah and that's a whole other thing yeah but for me it was about getting our brand message out there I wasn't against wholesale at all I wanted to that was definitely something that I knew that we would look at but as much as possible ensuring that we partnered with people who would represent Pindra in the way that I Mm -hmm. visualized it I know you have a strong team around you now and you have investment around you now but when you were kind of work, walking into that path for the for the first time, yeah. you know, when you went out and sort of found your your chairman, yeah, for example, mm-hmm. how how did that all come about? Were, were you deliberately seeking certain skill sets that you felt you didn't have, or or, or were these all part of an existing network? I, it was important to me to work with people who understood me and but understood the vision and bought into the vision um, and believed in the vision and believed that I was the person that would take that forward. So it was a real people thing. Um, I knew that that um, it was important to have people that brought something to the business and not just financially, but brought other skills and experience to the business because I'd never never done this before. So I, I knew that there was a lot to learn and that I didn't, a lot that I didn't know. So I guess... You know, when when I started that whole process, I I didn't have a great experience early on and and that was kind of those people came to me. But I very, very quickly kind of worked through that and worked out it wasn't right. And the day that we we were on the panel, we talked a little bit about this. And and for me, something that's consistent throughout my whole experience as as the founder and running Findra is my gut instinct. Oh, yeah. You know, it's crucial. Yeah. 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 And when you don't listen to it, you look back and think, I knew I should have done whatever, yep. said whatever, thought whatever. Yeah. yeah. Every one of the biggest mistakes I've made, my gut was right at the time. Yeah. It's just whether you listen to it or you're in such a place of anxiety, stress yes. and self-doubt, yeah, actually. Absolutely. There are certain types of people and there are ter- certain types of situation yeah. that whip you up into such a yeah. state of self-doubt. Yeah. You overrule your own gut and that's when I've made my biggest yeah. mistakes. And I think you've got to learn to trust it. I, I've certainly, in the last few years, got better at that. You know? And it's not, I mean, I think, I don't know whether it's 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 a female thing or whether it's more of a general thing when you're doing this for the first or, or second time. A lot of times you think that to trust your gut must be arrogant. Like yeah. you're not listening yeah. to other people. You're not taking yeah. on other feedback. You should be more humble and not assuming you're Absolutely. right and that you know everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whilst there is some truth to that, you need to be teachable and you need yeah. to learn. 
you can't overrule your no. when your gut is screaming at something is yeah. encroaching on your values. Yes, that's, I think that's, that's the what thing. It's about, when it's coming into your the territory of you as a personal yeah. being and what you yeah. and the business that you've created stand for. Yeah, your gut's the thing that's screaming out, Absolutely. warning you that that there's a threat, there's a threat. to the core Basically, value. There's a threat, and, and that's not arrogance. Yeah. I don't think it's arrogant at all, and and. I think the challenge is that it's almost like you can't quite explain it. It's mm. that. That's when you question yourself because it's like, well, I can't quite put it into words yeah. what, I'm, what I'm feeling here, but there's just something about this. doesn't feel right. I'm not comfortable with it or I don't like it. And I don't think this is the way forward. And when you continue down that path, when you've felt that, but you continue down that path and, and whatever unfolds and you look back and you think, ah, yeah, I should have listened. And, and I had that experience quite early on and with regards to investment and it was definitely a strong gut feeling that just said no and 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 on paper it didn't work out it, it wasn't right either and I just walked away from it mm-hmm. I, I just very politely walked away and, and it was one of the best things that I could have done absolutely and I think you feel it in a very physical way that you relief yeah. afterwards yeah. when you've made those decisions that are in line with kind of yeah. it's almost like it's like your moral and your value compass yeah. is just all lined up and the tension yeah. that goes out of you when you've yeah, made absolutely. that horrible decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's funny because I think you talk about people that get you. And I think that's when you find the right people is that you don't have to dig yourself into a hole trying yeah. to explain that. Yeah. They get. You understand They that. understand and that they respect this is that. it. Yeah. yeah. When you find people that don't get that that's when you get all the your emotional or unstable yeah. or difficult or contrary or yeah. all the other Which is nonsense not, you get nonsense. thrown at you. It's, it's not helpful and um doesn't take anything forward you know it's, it's yeah. so it's kind of trying avoid those yeah people as much as possible and i think as you get more confident and more experienced in it it, it does become easier yeah, definitely. To, to own own, yeah. own the skin you're in really. and, and trust as you say just trust that instinct and i think i've learned that when i start to get that feeling and it is a, it is a feeling it's a physical feeling and, and you just start to question things it's kind of stepping back and thinking right what what exactly is it that i'm seeing here what is it that's going on that i'm not i'm not sure about i'm not comfortable and kind of stepping back a little bit and just kind of taking stock and sometimes well for me I go out on my bike and that helps me to think and you kind of pull it all together and you think okay you know and and you have to allow yourself that time Mm. um and not in that time doubt yourself or criticize yourself just step back a bit look at what's going on look at what it is that you're unsure about and then have a bit of time to think and, and kind of pull it together and even the ability to kind of do that has come about over the last few years you know I've saw myself as a person evolve to to allow myself to be mm-hmm. able to touch in to tap into that sorry and understand it hopefully more make Brilliant. better decisions if you can <laughs> Brilliant. so what's next what's next for the brand the business for world domination world domination so yeah we, we're just we have grown steadily year on year um this year we which i've always found quite quite amusing we introduced a men's range um so pretty much uh, from the, the moment we launched to market, we were asked to do a men's range. We had guys buy our product. There was one guy, that I think, very first male customer, actually, who, who bought one of our tops and didn't actually ask me. It was at an event I was at in London. Didn't didn't see this woman specific or anything, but I thought the kind of posters and things that we had, the banners, would have made that clear. But again, mm-hmm. being presumptuous or, or assuming things. Um, and it was about two months later that this guy emailed me and he said, I, I've just 
kind of realised you're a woman's brand. Is it okay for me to wear this? Oh, <laughs> oh, that's just lovely. I know, and it's yeah. like, yes, if it fits and you like it and you're happy, go yeah. for it. There's you know, yeah. stopping you. So, so yeah, pretty much from the start, we were asked to do women's uh, men's products. Sorry, and I just found that really interesting because you think, well, there's a massive options out there for men in, in the outdoor clothing industry and, and cycling specifically, but what we had created, what the Finder products were all about, obviously appealed to men too. So this year we've launched men's and that's that's going well. And for us now, we're, we're, we're just about growing, growing the business, um, growing sales. I feel, you know, the, the first we're in year four and, and there's so much to do in, in kind of those start-up years when you're kind of getting things off the ground that I feel now we've got a really good team at board level and in-house. We've got great people, all of whom believe in the brand and love the product and, and, and are people who are very much our customer. You know, they live and breathe the outdoors, they love the outdoors and, and so we're in a good place in terms of the foundations of the business and I think that that reflects where I was pre-launch is, is building foundations and, and put, putting them in place and kind of just getting all of that as, as right as you can. There's so many challenges, as you know, and so many hurdles. So do you feel like you're at the start line now? I can't think we might be about to start, yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. Four years in and yeah. we're ready to start. Absolutely. I wish you every success. It has been Thank a pleasure you. to talk to you. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Alex Feakin, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. If you like the podcast, then do me a big favour and tell the world who can subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, YouTube and at the entrepreneuragonyart.com website. Mm-hmm.